the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Welcome to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you today, and it is Holy Week, and we're going through each day. We went through Monday yesterday, what happened in Jesus and in Jerusalem. Today, it's Tuesday, and let me just read this And before Alex and I began, but it's in uh, chapter 21, uh, excuse me, it is in Luke chapter 20, and uh, the, the leaders come and they question Jesus. It says, now it happened on one of those days as Jesus taught the people in the temple, preached the gospel, the chief priest, the scribes, together with the elders, confronted him. And this is what they wanted, and they thought they had him. But again, Jesus Christ, he answers them by asking questions that they were afraid to answer. And therefore, Jesus said, well, I won't answer your question either. Now, if you have a legitimate question, Jesus always has an answer. But if your question is that of trying to get out of something, trying to prove something, you may get a question asked of you. Again, this is Bert and Alex. It's good to be with you. And Alex, I love uh, how Jesus demonstrated this about when people came with legitimate questions, how compassionate, loving, and caring, and and courageous he was. He had, but when they would come trying to trick him, I'm always amazed. He usually asked them a harder question than they asked him and they'd usually go away not knowing that answer. And that's true with that question when they ask about authority. Uh, authority mm-hmm. was very important, and Jesus demonstrated that authority even in the last day of his ministry here upon earth. Amen. Amen. Well, Bert, it's great to be with you on this edition of Exploring the Word. And, you know, as, as you and I have prepped for this, looking at the events of the, the Lord's last week on earth uh, going up to the cross it really has just impressed on my heart just all that God has done in his love and compassion and you're right Jesus whenever anybody had an honest question and they well here's the thing it said he knew their hearts and he knew the difference between somebody seeking truth and somebody like the the religious leaders that were trying to catch him and entrap him and uh, he um, he was always in control. You mentioned it was an issue of authority. Well, God is the authority, and even to this day, as we all know, the world can shake its fist at God and try to reinvent reality, but God is in control. But, Bert, I came across a quote. Have you ever heard of a, a scholar from Britain named N.T. Wright, Thomas Wright? N.T. Wright wrote a very famous book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. Does that name ring a bell? It does. Yes, it does. Well, um, I was reading about, and one of my mentors, Gary Habermas, uh, who is also an expert on the resurrection, he and N.T. Wright are friends. And um, as a result, I've bought some of N.T. Wright's books. But he was talking about, you know, Jesus rose the Holy Spirit was given, the church age began, and we are still in what we call the church age, where we're going into all the world to make disciples and fulfill the Great Commission. But until the Lord comes back, I thought this was beautiful. N.T. Wright said, 
that our mission until the Lord comes back, listen to this, is to, quote, colonize earth with the life of heaven. Amen. And I, yes. I, we are trying to colonize earth with the life of heaven, the love of heaven, the reality of heaven. And that's why, I, as much as I love Christmas, and boy, I love Christmas, but I also love Easter because this empty tomb and the risen Jesus, victory over sin, death, and the grave. I mean, this is, this is part of what makes Christianity unique. And to everybody listening, we want to say Christ is victorious. And if you'll come to Jesus, you will live in that victory too. That, hey, hey, man, it, if you can beat death in the grave, you're victorious <laughs> over everything. Yeah, you sure are. And he is the living Savior. And uh, he's living today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is ready to intercede for those that would give their lives to him. And he will represent you before the Father, the judge. And uh, he knows what he is doing. And, Alex, uh, we find that true here on Tuesday. Uh, again, it was uh, some people's called it a day of confrontation a day of controversy, and it is when these elders, they, they're trying to get him one-on-one, uh, -on -one, as you would say, and the rest of the time after this, it's going to be them trying to connive to get others to claim things so they would have something to say against him. But here they try to get it on their own, and just let I started reading chapter 20. It says they confronted him, but let me read the rest of this uh, through verse 8 of Luke. And it says, and Jesus uh, and spoke to Jesus, saying, "Here's what they said: the elders, the scribes, uh, you know, and the high priest, chief priest. Here's tell us by what authority are you doing these things, or who is he who gave you this authority? I can just hear it with that sarcasm. They would ask. Yes. But Jesus answered and said to them, "I will also ask you one thing, and answer me: the baptism of John was it from heaven?" Are from men, and they reasoned among themselves, saying, "If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they have they are persuaded that John was a prophet." So they answered that they did not know where it was from. Jesus said to them, "Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things." Now the two things that amazes me is how Jesus handles it; it always does. Mm -hmm. But the other one, they weren't interested in answering Jesus' questions. They weren't. They were. Mm -hmm. It was political decision. Kind of reminds me of what's going on today with a lot of people. It's not whether it's right or wrong. It's what's expedient. And theirs was expediency. It wasn't truth that they were looking at, was it? No, it wasn't. And they were trying to, to some way, even though it was counter to their law, they were looking for a way to try to uh, condemn Jesus to death. Um, you know, in uh, Matthew renders this, and it's verbatim what you just shared, Matthew 21, 23 through 27. Notice this, if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for they counted John as a prophet. Now remember, John the Baptist pointed to the Messiahship of Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So here's, um, I, I think, what was going through the mind of some of the chief priests and the elders, all right, people believed John, and John preached Jesus, therefore people would believe in Jesus. 
And so they, uh, and, and this is how lies and dishonesty works. Bert, have you ever noticed how if you're dishonest about one thing, then you got to be dishonest about another thing? That's true. And if they're going to reject Jesus and try to falsely accuse him, well, then they've got to impugn John the Baptist as well, and then um, the, the disciples. And so it just it's a snowball effect. But Jesus, right after this, where he brilliantly, he puts him off and says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Then he goes and he begins to continue teaching. And I think about this, that... Um, you know, Christ knows the the wheels are turning. They're they're rejecting. They're going to accuse and ultimately have him put to death. And yet he's still ministering, still setting forth the truth of of the kingdom and preaching and teaching. And uh, he's helping them understand later on in Matthew twenty one forty two. Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. And, of course, that's from Psalm 118. Um, here's the thing. Uh, in verse 45, he says, The kingdom of God, you know, uh, whoever stands is going to live. Whoever uh, this stone falls on, it will crush them. And the chief priests and the Pharisees heard, and they perceived he was speaking of them. Bert, here's what I'm trying to figure out. They knew enough to realize that they were guilty before God. Here's this teacher who is, unlike anybody else, fulfill all the criteria of Messiahship, and he's, he's warning them of their guilt. They could grasp that. But if they could understand their guilt before God, why couldn't they understand that they needed to seize this opportunity to repent and turn to God? Alex, again, I think it is the whole idea of control. They had been in control. They had been, and I'm going to use this word, hoodwinking the common people to think that their authority was real and what they said was from God. And so they did not want to release that. They were going to hold on to that regardless of what truth was presented to them. And they could perceive that Jesus was talking about them. But we have that today with people knowledgeable, knowing that they're confronted with the truth of the gospel. They're confronted with their own inability to save themselves and do right. But they're going to hang on to what they have. And and again, it goes back to that word. And I know I'm uh, talking about it quite a bit, this authority thing. They wanted to not lose their authority. They felt their authority was being checked, taken away from them, and they were going to fight to the last breath before they would lose it. And so this whole idea, it says they perceived he was speaking of them. Uh, again, notice how this is, where Jesus puts them in their place. They wouldn't answer his question, and now when he tells the story of a parable, and they understand this is them, and they have rejected Jesus uh, that they verse 46 says it all. They sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the multitudes because they took Jesus for a prophet. Again, political expediency was their goal to have and hang on 
to what control they had. And, and again, I'm going to repeat what I said probably last week and yesterday too. Them thinking they were in control, but all the time Jesus is the one that was in control, Alex. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, there's a lesson in that for our life as well, that the, the, the wisest thing you can ever do is to let go and let God have the control of your life. So on Tuesday, just to kind of summarize a little bit here, Tuesday was a little bit of a day of conflict because um, he's confronting with the Pharisees about his authority, about paying tribute, about the resurrection here in Matthew 22. Um, the Sadducees, uh, who don't believe in the resurrection, they try to ask him a trick question about the resurrection. Isn't that something? <laughs> yes. And, you know, and yet... Jesus doesn't, uh, and, and by the way, it's just one of these crazy hypothetical questions. Like they say in the Middle Ages, you know, the thinkers used to speculate how many, how many angels could dance on the head of a pen, which is a nonsensical question. So the Sadducees came this same day, and they don't, now remember, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. That's so why they they're said, called sad, you see. <laughs> yes, right? exactly. That's how I, I hate to do that, but that's how I remembered it all my life. They were sad because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Go ahead, of Alex. Of course, of course. And so here's this man, uh, and and he dies. He doesn't have children, and his brother marries, and there's all these marriages, death. So in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? When we come back, let's talk about this, how Christ responds. And we're going to see again, Jesus takes them on, and you're going to find out who is on the right side when we come back with more of Exploring the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for William Moore, Director of the Defense Commissary Agency. He oversees the sale of groceries and household goods to members of the U.S. military. Psalm 145, verses 15 and 16, reminds us that God always provides. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide William Moore as he helps provide food and goods to our nation's military members. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country, and we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Like all of us, God wants to be loved for who He is, not what He has or what He does. Dr. Tony Evans says that's why he hates the modern-day idols we often choose over Him. He'll explain as we spend two minutes with Tony. Loving an idol is like a wife loving the wedding ring more than the bridegroom. She likes what the bridegroom gave her, but doesn't necessarily care for the one who gave it. See, everybody wants what God can give without a heart that wants the God who gave it. The problem today is God has too many gold diggers. I'll dress up for him on Sunday. I'll put on my cologne on Sunday. I'll smell sweet for the deity. I will bring my Bible on Sunday and I will carry it under my arms. Come on, Jesus. See how sweet I'm smelling? 
Now, the only reason I'm doing this, Jesus, is because I'm sick and I need you to make me better. The only reason I'm doing this, Jesus, is because I want a better job. The only reason I'm doing this, Jesus, is because I want heaven to fall down and give me a mate. I'm doing it. I'm smelling sweet for Jesus because I want something. Now, I don't want you, Jesus, but I want the gold that you have to offer. God is looking for some folk who's not trying to be a gold digger, but they want him. And because they want him and love him and get rid of their idols, he gives them himself. And when they get him, they get what he has to offer. Find out more about what a real relationship with God looks like. Visit TonyEvans.org and click on the link that says Jesus. Tony has a short video that can answer your questions and change your life. Check it out today. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. In just a few days, the world will celebrate Easter, and I hope you'll be in church on Easter Sunday, and maybe you'll sing that wonderful Charles Wesley song, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, Hallelujah. Sons of men and angels say, Christ the Lord is risen. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bert Harper and I were talking about the days of Holy Week and Jesus ultimately going to the cross. And in a few minutes, we'll take your Bible questions if you want to call in. The number, toll-free nationwide, it's 888-589-8840. We will do our best to get to as many Bible questions as we can. 888-589-8840. Uh, Bert, before the break, we were talking about the fact that the Sadducees tried to throw Jesus off because it's almost like this. There's, you know, I envision there's probably lots of people in the shadows watching and listening, right? Exactly. Well, um, the teachers of the law, boy, they couldn't trip him up. And here's Jesus, and he's humble and he's loving, but he's he's wise, and nobody's going to put him in checkmate. So it's almost like you know, watch this. Let's see how he handles this question. Exactly. So here's this lady, and she's widowed up to seven times, all these seven brothers. Finally, the woman dies also, verse 28 of Matthew 22. Then in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Um, Now, Christ could have said, um, well, uh, in the resurrection, and the Sadducees might have said, well, Hey, uh, aha, you don't even know. We don't even believe in the resurrection. Jesus, uh, he says, you are mistaken. I love the way the King James renders it. You do err, E-R-R. You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. But then he does go on and talk about the truth. And it says in verse 33, and he talks about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the resurrection. But he says, or it says, rather, when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. To this day, the world is astonished with Jesus, aren't they, Bert? They are. And Alex, this passage, every one of these is so real about Jesus. Notice, you are mistaken. Who are you talking about? You're talking about someone that knew the first five books 
of the Old Testament. Now, the Pharisees, they believed in the first five books, but they also believed in the prophets, but not the Sadducees. They didn't even take the prophets, so they, they wouldn't know about Isaiah and the suffering servant. They would not know any of that. So he says, you're mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures, nor even the power of God. The two things that they were really high on was them knowing the Scriptures and, again, power. And I'm going to use the word authority, control. That's I just want you to see here, that is the big deal with them. They're losing it. Uh, the, the common people are going to Jesus for their questions. They're going to Jesus, and they cannot stomach this. They cannot dare lose this. So Jesus says, you are mistaken. Now, Alex, I, I just think we need to make a big, important aspect of that. There's people today in the pulpits, uh, in seminaries, in colleges, Bible colleges, uh, that we can be mistaken. But there's some things we better not be mistaken about. We've talked about eschatology, things to come. Yes, and right. you and I, we have our definite thoughts. But you and I will say, let me share with you, there's some room for interpretation here, you know. But right. let me just share with you, there's no room for interpretation concerning Jesus Christ. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And them ignoring scriptures, denying his power. Remember what it says. He's already raised Lazarus, and they've seen Lazarus walking around. <laughs> you know, they can't yes. deny it, but they will not relent. And therefore, verse 33, when the multitudes heard this, the multitudes were again astonished at his teaching. The reverse happened <laughs> of what they wanted to happen. You know, they wanted to see Jesus put in the corner where he could not answer. And rather than that, he astonishes them. And he is even of greater uh, importance and greater power than they were before this question or these things were presented to him. That's what Jesus does, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. A absolutely. I mean, it's just amazing. And uh, that's why, and we always seem to get this in, but we, we talk about the fact that life's most important decision, the most vital thing, is that you open your, your heart and put your faith in Jesus. And listen, uh, we could say it a lot of ways, being born again or trusting in Christ, being saved. Um, Peter talks about be converted, repent be converted. That means turn from sin to Jesus Christ. And if you do that today, listen, we could go on and on about who he is, the deity of Christ. He is God incarnate. And that's why he was qualified to die for us on Calvary's cross. He could bear all of our sin and he could uh, fully atone for our sin because he is the son of God. Bert, um, I'm sure you remember the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. You remember that oh, yes, yes, scholar? of course, yes. Um, he said this, on the cross, man was justified, but also God was justified. Let me explain what Martin Lloyd-Jones meant about that. Um, not that God had sin and needed to be forgiven, certainly not, but Jesus did take on our sin. But, but here's the thing. God is holy, so... Sin has to be dealt with. Justice has to be served. But God is also merciful. And this is uh, one of the reasons that I definitely, absolutely believe Christianity, because it is a, such a beautiful thing 
No human could have ever thought it up. In Christ, you've got full God, full deity, but full humanity, but not fallen humanity. He was the perfect, righteous Son of God. And yes, the, the, the justice and holiness and wrath of God was served. It was poured unto Jesus. But yet the mercy of God was certainly demonstrated. And all you and I need do is admit we're a sinner and then believe in Jesus and then ask, turn to Christ. And there's no way, and just think about this, and Bert, I'll throw it back to you. Look, Satan, the accuser, could never say, uh, God, your word wasn't carried out. No, because it was to the letter. Uh, Satan could never say, uh, Holy God, you just swept unrighteousness under the rug. No, all sin was dealt with. And so I think I know what Martin Lloyd-Jones meant when he said, you know, Calvary not only justified man, but it justified God. And I don't know any other way to say it. Every I was dotted, every T was crossed. The minutia of the law was fulfilled. That's why, look, there's no other way. That perfect sacrifice of the Son of God on, on Calvary, and he rose from the dead. This is salvation, isn't it? It is. And Alex, you was talking about this. The apostles would write in their Gospels, this did not make sense, the Old Testament, until certain things happened. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, oh, now I get it. Uh, Jesus died on the cross. Oh, now I see it, you know? And, and the Holy Spirit then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came into their lives, and they put this knowledge with power. Now, notice that, this knowledge of scriptures, this is exactly what the Sadducees, they did not have. Jesus said, you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God. But after the apostles being taught by Jesus and seeing these things come to be that were predicted in the Old Testament, brought to life in the New Testament, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost, they had what the Sadducees did not have, power and knowledge. Now, verse 34, this is, uh, again, when I say this is funny, it doesn't mean ha-ha, but it, it just amazes me here. The Sadducees had their their time with him. You see in verse 23 to sure. 33, now it's the Pharisees' time. They said they said they didn't know the Scriptures. They didn't have the power of the Pharisees. We got it. And so when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus answered, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What a statement. You need to underline verse 40. All of you that have your Bibles open, everything hangs on your relationship with God and then how it translates to loving others. Now notice this. Verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? (laughs) Again, what does he do? He puts them on the defensive. But I do find it funny. These Pharisees, they said, the Sadducees, they couldn't do it. But let us 
we're, we're, we're the big boys, you know? Let, yeah. let us have our chance. We'll get him. You couldn't, guys, but we will. But they got put in their place as well, didn't they, Alex? They really did. I mean, they they brought out every tool they had. And so Jesus asked this question, uh, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, who is he? They said the son of David. Now they're quoting Psalm 110. So they know they know their scriptures, at least to a point. So Jesus asked them, well, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying the Lord, and by the way, when in the Old Testament, when you see L-O-R-D, in all caps, that means Almighty God. So how does God say to David, my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? If David calls him Lord, then how is he his son or a descendant? And nobody knew, but the answer is the incarnation. See, um, Jesus coming from the lineage of David, um, in ter- you know, David lived centuries before, and yet, Christ, being the eternal God, is older than David. That's like we've talked about at Christmas, how um, Mary held the newborn baby in her arms, and that infant, minutes old, was infinitely older than Mary. It's amazing. But nobody was able to answer him, and from that day on, nobody asked him any more questions. I love this. No, I just, keep where you are, but let's go through this. This chapter, it's an awesome chapter. First of all, it says concerning them that they, these Sadducees, it says, you're mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures and the power of God. Then the Pharisees, they got together and they said, we're going to take him on. And then they could not answer him. So what happened after he took down the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they said, we're not going to ask him any more questions. Alex, it, you see how I, I believe Matthew was building that case so he could say that in verse 46. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And... Uh, you know what? We could probably make a sermon about the various ways that they tried to trip up Jesus, but Passover's coming. And at Passover, you know, obviously everybody knows that was when, um, you know, the, they celebrated how the blood of the lamb on the doorpost spared their lives in Egypt from the plagues long ago. Uh, at Passover, some, not only is a lamb going to be sacrificed, but somebody's going to die at Passover. And it's just amazing how all this is coming together. All this coalesces. Now, so Jesus in uh, Matthew 23, there's what we call the denunciation of the Pharisees by Jesus. Very severe words of condemnation and judgment. But they've, they've done their best to trip him up, Maybe even some intentionally are trying to cause him to sin and maybe invalidate his ability to be the Messiah. But, Bert, I've often wondered, you know, well, I I know the answer. They had a lucrative religious machine that required no faith or obedience, but and they had the, the people. See, part of this, Palm Sunday, when all the crowds are crying Hosanna, the, the religious leaders are losing the grip the stranglehold they had over the people. And yet, you know, I guess if, if, and I want to say to everybody listening, if it is clear that God is revealing himself to you, don't resist that. 
Don't try to squelch it. Don't try to, um, you know, get away from it. You know you need the Lord and God is mercifully revealing himself. Then be humble and care enough about your own eternity to say, God, I need you. I turn to you. But he condemns them. He condemns them. And then in John 12, 20 through 50, some Gentiles come and they ask the question. It's such an honest question. It's very moving. They said, sir, we would see Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, That's one of the greatest requests in the Bible, Alex. Yes. Well, I hope that's the desire of, of everyone listening and people everywhere. So they come. Bert, I've often wondered about John 12, 20. Okay, they come to worship at the feast. These are certain Greeks. And uh, why are they coming to Jerusalem for Passover? Because they're not Jewish. But they are seeking God, aren't they? They are. And again, that is why God placed them there. That's why they had the court of the Gentiles. But if you remember yesterday, we talked about him cleansing the temple, the money changers. It was there in that that place, the court of the Gentiles. And these Greeks come and, you know, the temple, no, they're not going to find anything because they had discounted it. They had corrupted it. But they come to Jesus. Sirs, we would see Jesus. Notice one of the guys that brings them, Andrew. Every time oh, we boy. see Andrew, yes. Alex, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. He, he was something. We want to be like that. Yes, we? Operation Andrew. You're listening to Exploring the Word, and we're going to come up on our last segment where we take questions. We want you to ask us a Bible question, one that God has placed on your heart maybe, and that number is 888-589-8840. They should face some sort of consequences. At the very least, what you put on there should be true, and if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Major social media outlets are finding ways to block the conservative evangelical viewpoint. The American Family Association will no longer be canceled. Announcing AFA Streaming, our own video streaming platform, which will allow access to all AFA video content. AFA Streaming is now available. Learn more at AFA.net. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute, no way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. Judy Goodell and her husband set up a charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation. What we love about it is that it represents stewardship principles that we feel strongly about. So we got very, very excited about this opportunity. With a charitable gift annuity through the AFA Foundation, an AFA supporter can guarantee a permanent monthly income, as well as supporting the American Family Association for years to come. We do feel convicted about really praying about all that God has really blessed us with. And so many people we know just want to leave it all to their kids. And we know the danger of that. And so we just are really just trying to pray through it. And God gave us great confirmation as we prayed 
that this would be a good use of the Lord's money. Find out if a charitable gift annuity is right for you at 800-326-4543, extension 345, or email foundation at afa.net. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. When my wife and I first started having children, we discouraged our family members from speaking to them in baby talk. You know, the gaga goo goo stuff. The reason was simple. We wanted our children to speak English well. Baby talk would hinder that development. The same principle applies to spiritual development. If we want our children to be wise disciples of our Lord, we should ask ourselves how much of their time is spent investing in spiritual maturity. Protracted time in the company of spiritual baby talkers will inevitably cause harm. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net. For more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when Christ appears, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 2 and 3. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You're my defender. You know, after all of these inquisitions and interrogations, Jesus says in uh, John 12, 23, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. He knew he was en route to the cross, as painful and as just uh, immeasurably agonizing as that would be, and yet he did it because he loves you and me. This is Exploring the Word, Alex and Bert. We're going to go to the calls and the number. If you've got a Bible question, we'll do our very best to give a good answer, but it's 888-589-8840. We're so glad you're listening, so glad you're calling in. And Bert, uh, where should we go with the first call? Let's go to the great state of Arkansas and talk to Stephen. Stephen, welcome. Hey, thank you guys. I, I appreciate your time and all you do each and every day, uh, speaking truth and wisdom to everybody. Um, God bless it's you. Definitely a, and you guys are a wealth of knowledge. So thank you again. Um, my question is, is there any significance over um, the uh, Jesus, I guess, after he was crucified and died before he rose again the three days? Why is it three days and not seven or longer or shorter? Um, is there any significance to that time? And then um, I guess to pair it up is, is what was he doing during those three days? Okay, great, great question, Stephen. Let me just share with you, uh, Jonah has a lot to say about this, and Jesus would predict it as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so must the Son of Man be those three days. And again, it's part of three days. It doesn't necessarily, the way it says and the way they understand it, it's not necessarily three 24-hour periods, but it's part of three days, which would be Friday to, to the Sunday when he would 
the resurrection would take place. So, so this is what we know. It is significant, and it is significant for Pentecost, going back from the Passover to Pentecost. So all of it does fit together, Stephen. You're right. It fits together, and it is significant. Alex, uh, Jesus wasn't just laying around during that, that period of time. He went to some places, did he not, during that he, period he of really time? He really did, and uh, uh, thank you for that great question. See, in the spiritual realm, okay, Jesus dies on the cross, and he says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, uh, Luke twenty three forty six. So um, before the resurrection, after his death on the cross Friday, and I believe he was crucified on a Friday, Good Friday is the church's belief for really two millennia, um, he goes into the realm of the dead. Um, old, old-time scholars would say that Jesus spoiled the grave. And what that means is that before the resurrection in the realm of the dead, in the heart of the earth, there was really, um, there was paradise or Abraham's bosom where the believing dead were of old. And then there was, there was Hades um, that was the place of punishment for the unbelieving dead. So he, the Bible says, and, and this is part of uh, Ephesians and part of Psalm 68, but he led captivity captive. So the captives uh, in paradise that were there, you know, in Luke um, 23, 43, he is said to the thief on the cross, today you'll with, be with me in paradise. So Jesus goes to the Father, and I don't know in which order, but probably um, his soul appears before the Father, the atonement, the perfect sacrifice is paid. He goes into the realm of the dead. The unbelieving saints of old remain there in punishment. The believing saints of old are taken to heaven. And Bert, the, the wheels were set in motion for ultimately Pentecost, the giving of the Holy Spirit. He gave gifts to men. That would come with the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And then uh, Sunday morning, sometime uh, just before sunrise, his spirit was rejoined with the, the corpse, and that corpse resurrected. Uh, and, you know, that the, the glorified body of Jesus is the glorified state we all will have one time, but it wasn't just a, a time of dormancy over that weekend, it was, if I can say it, a busy time, wasn't yeah, it? It was. Let me make this statement about uh, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down, but if I lay it down, I have power to take it up again. And what Alex just said about his body being there, he came back. He did. Uh, not anybody else. Jesus himself raised himself up. Uh, the others were, you know, you can say they were resurrected, and I, I believe that. The other three that he did, the, the widow of Nain, the, the other one that's uh, up in Capernaum and Lazarus, but Jesus is the resurrection. He is the resurrection, and he had power to take it up again, and he did. Thank you, Stephen. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Mac. Mac, welcome. Yes, uh, thank you, Brother Burke and Brother Smith. I appreciate the uh... Alex, I'm sorry, Brother Alex. Uh, appreciate y'all's show. Love it very much. Uh, my question is, um, I, have an, I have a 13-year-old uh, son and 11-year-old girl, and uh, whenever we would do family devotions, I would uh, use a book 
It's called I Can Learn the Bible, and it's by the Joshua Code, and it's it's a fantastic book. Uh, but it's it's more geared towards elementary kids, and my kids are kind of outgrowing it. And I've tried a couple of other books, but they're just a little more secular than I prefer. And I'm just wondering if if y'all have any that come to mind that are more geared towards middle school children. And that's my mm-hmm. question. Thank you very much, Mac. Thank you. I don't know if you got to hear uh, Abraham Hamilton's a little uh, one minute, uh, you know presentation before we came back to the air or not, Matt, but he was talking about spiritually to your speaking to your children. I, I'm going to set this up and you may have something else again, Alex, and add to it. But I want to tell you some of the stuff that, that Alex McFarlane has written, uh, they it it's more than a devotional and they're good. I, I mean, even at my, most for his highest is strong for adults, but I'm telling you, he, what he gave it to it was to college students or those preparing, and it's good for them as well. But, Alex, I still think the material that you, Frank Turek, and these people that have given themselves to apologetics, defending the faith, they're strong enough, I think, for kids 13 and 11 to get a hold of. And uh, so I, I think going to your website and getting some of that material would be good, brother. Well, God bless you. Thanks so much. I wrote a book called Stand core truths you must know for an unshakable faith. And it's written at a seventh grade reading level, but I've had preachers tell me they preach through it, uh, you know, on Sunday morning. So my book, Stand, is good. Let me tell you, when I was working at Focus on the Family, there was uh, a colleague, great guy, Jesse Floria, and it's his last name is F-L-O-R-E-A. Jesse Floria, good guy, worked for Dr. Dobson. We were colleagues at Focus. He wrote a book, a devotional book for teenagers, and, and I, I know Jesse, and he is very trustworthy, very good. Also, Josh McDowell has the, the book of teen devotionals. Josh McDowell, And Josh has another book called Josh McDowell's Book of Family Devotionals. One last thing, and I'll say this quickly. Bert and I did the book, 100 Bible Questions and Answers, that you, dear listeners, helped create because they were the 100 questions came from you listeners. Bless you. But... Um, it's written, I believe, at a very accessible kind of high school level. And, Bert, you know, it wouldn't be bad to take one of those per day. It Just really would not. Take, That's great. And, and as a parents and child, read it. And it's saturated with Bible, full of Scripture. And, and, I and think it's equipping. Let me add that. It to is. The, it, it, the answers are equipping people, adults and teenagers, to to be ready to give an answer because these are the questions, and you can get that at afastore.net. It's the resource center, uh, and it is available on uh, that you can order from AFA Store. Fresh right research just came out a few months ago. Very fresh research. Sure is. Thank you so much, Matt. We hope that helps. We gave you a lot of things. Hope you got them all wrote, written down. But if you do like devotionals, that's right. You can go to the podcast, AFR podcast, and look at it and review this and get uh, these responses that Alex and I gave today. Let's go to Texas and talk to Jeff. Jeff, welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. I have a question. Um, as a believer, my sins are forgiven. I'm trying to make sense of the Bible verse. So it's several verses, one in Mark 11 and one in Matthew 6, about 
if we don't forgive others, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. Could y'all share some insight on that? Good question, Jeff. Alex, let me share with you. I heard a statement uh, today about forgiveness. We receive the forgiveness so God can give us his righteousness. That's awesome. You know, without that forgiveness, if we hold bitterness in our heart, uh, it's going to come away. I don't think it necessarily means unforgiveness concerning our sin, but there's going to be some, I think, account. Is that talking about real accountability, Alex? Uh, that that's I think so. And you know, in the Mark eleven uh, twenty five and twenty six, if you stand praying and you and you have anything against anyone, uh, forgive him that your Father in heaven may forgive you. L- let me just say this: um, all of our conclusions, we need to consider the the entire um, all the relevant scriptures. Now, if this was all that we knew about salvation, we might conclude, uh oh. If I have unforgiveness, uh, I can't be forgiven by God. And, and I, I do think a big barrier to Jesus is, you know, the hardness of one's heart. But in terms of a born-again believer, you see, when you put your faith in Christ, positionally, you're in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. So I think if you have unforgiveness and a grudge as a born-again believer, and you're, un- I mean, think about it. We who have been forgiven should be willing to forgive. But I think in terms of a born-again believer, it would be a fellowship issue. And if you've got unforgiveness or something in your heart you know you need to make right and you're not willing to do it, um, it doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven, but it's going to shut down the, the, the pipeline of your prayers to God. Don't you think, Bert? I it, mean, it, You're exactly right, Alex. And I, I ju- we just need to make this statement. Unforgiveness in our heart, it destroys the container. It's like an acid. It destroys the container. That person that you haven't forgiven, they're living their life free as a breeze, not thinking. But if you dwell on it, you are the one. Not only uh, it does harm. So God's telling us that, I think, for our good, that we really need to have that forgiveness in our heart. And I know we're talking to people out there that's got a lot. They've been mistreated um, recently. I mean, uh, this this uh, uh, slavery that's going on by people, sex slaves, and I'm using that term here. And listen, and children that's been used, our Supreme Court uh, justice that's been given and saying having light, light sentences for those that do horrible things to to our uh, children. Listen, um, I know forgiveness is hard, but it is best for us. Thank you so much, Jeff. Hope mm-hmm. that helps. Let's go to Arkansas and talk to Nellie. Nellie, welcome. Hi, good afternoon. Um, I just wanted to let you know I was thrilled with the way that you opened the program yesterday, and I was wondering if I could read the actual scripture that you were referencing. Go ahead. John John 10, right? <laughs> yes, John Go. 10, 17 and 18. Read it, Nellie. Uh, okay. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. 
I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Amen. Powerful. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Listen, if that doesn't light, light your uh, lamp up, and man, listen, that that's powerful. Thank you, Nellie. That was awesome and, and great, and we appreciate that. Time is coming to a close, and tomorrow, Alex, we're going to be talking about the Wednesday, and that's kind of, let me just give you all a heads up. Uh, there's less said about that day than all the other days concerning leading up to the the passion of, of Jesus. But yet, I think you'll want to uh, come in, call in, uh, be a part of that, and share that. Because, Alex, this week, this Holy Week, what a week. Can you imagine? Jesus knew. Let's make this sure. Jesus knew when he came in on that, uh, that Palm Sunday singing Hosanna that they would be saying crucify him on Friday. Jesus mm. knew that, and he yes. came and he did it, and he would do it for you and me. If you don't know Christ, we're praying that you would know him. Listen, yes. he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Alex, Jesus Christ is worth it all, isn't he? He really is. And, you know, people ask, why three days and three nights? Well, think about this. That Saturday before the resurrection was a dark, sad time, but Sunday morning came. Right now, we're in a dark, sad, long era called the church age. But look, Christ is coming back. That eastern sky will open and he'll be back one day, just as the grave was opened when he arose. This has been Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Burt Harper, so glad you're listening. You can listen again or share this with uh, AFR.net. The shows are archived. Do, do us this favor. This Easter week, make the most of it. Tell somebody about Exploring the Word, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.